Let's let's go to Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13, and we come now to verses 15 and 16, and uh, I have divided this into two sermons, so tonight we'll consider verse 15, but we read both of them, they belong together. Sacrifices that please God. Sacrifices that please God. So, verse 15 and 16 of Hebrews chapter 13. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And just thus far, may the Lord bless this reading of his word to us. Now, I suppose chapter 13, you could say, is the writer to the Hebrews' final word to this gathering or congregation of Jewish Hebrew believers. And in chapter 13, after having expounded on the wonders of Christ, his sacrifice and his intercession, the high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus. Now the writer to the Hebrews turns to some very practical uh, things that ought to be our response as Christians. And as you begin in verse 1 and work your way through, you can see that he calls upon every Christian, every believer to respond in this way. When we read our Bibles, we discover that sacrifices, that word sacrifice or the idea of sacrifices are absolutely vital and essential in order to come near to God. You cannot come near to God empty-handed. You come to God with something, with something to offer. And in the Old Testament, of course, there is this long prescribed list of sacrifices and offerings that the Israelite had to come and make to God in order to approach God and to be accepted by God. And so too, these Hebrews would be very familiar with that whole concept of Old Testament sacrifices, of how they should approach God. The writer has given them the greatest sacrifice of all. He has expounded to them the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that Jesus now sits at the right hand of God. And therefore, in light of that great and wonderful truth, or those truths, a Christian must respond. And the response of every Christian then is sacrificial. And in the same way that Israel, in order to approach God, come to God, draw near to God, had to come with sacrifices, so too the Christian approaches God with his sacrifices. We make sacrifices of our bodies, a living sacrifice, don't we? We, we make sacrifices with our lips, we give praise. In fact, this verse 15 mentions that very kind of thing. So, it's not just any sacrifice that God accepts. The only sacrifices that God accepts are the sacrifices that God has orchestrated or God has authorized. So Cain, in coming to God with Abel, did not come in the authorized way with the authorized sacrifice like Abel did. He came with his own sacrifice. He brought the best of what he had, the fruit of his hands. And he thought that that bringing that to God would be accepted by God, but God rejected that because that was not the sacrifice that God required. And Cain was very angry, wasn't he? Because God had rejected his sacrifice, and thereby God had rejected Cain. When you read about Nadab and Abihu, the two elder sons of Aaron the high priest, the Bible says they offered to God unauthorized fire. Not authorized, incense, but unauthorized, or maybe even the King James, I think, might say strange fire that God had not commanded them to bring or to offer to him. And the result was fire came down from heaven and consumed them in a moment because they did not come to God with the appropriate, with the right, with the acceptable sacrifices. The point of that is that the authorized sacrifices of God are the only sacrifices that please God. And isn't that 
what you would want to do in bringing a sacrifice to God, you would want to approach God, draw near to God, come near to God with that which pleases God, so that you know that God is well pleased with your approach to Him, based on the sacrifice that He has authorized, that He has commanded. When Noah came out of the ark, and the animals had come out, he took some of the clean animals, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 8, and he said he offered them up to God as a sacrifice. And the response of God was quite interesting because the Bible says the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. The Lord smelled. Now, of course, our God does not have a nose like we have a nose, but it's spoken in language that we can comprehend that God smells something that is beautiful and acceptable to Him because He has stipulated and requires that kind of sacrifice, the sacrifice that requires blood to be shed. And that phrase, by the way, a pleasing aroma, occurs many times in the Old Testament with a variety of sacrifices. That as the sacrifice is consumed by the fire and the smoke arises to God, God accepts it, God revels in it because that's how you come to Him, because He said that's how you come with that kind of sacrifice. God smells the aroma of the sacrifice and is well pleased. So any approach to God must be on the grounds that God has authorized, that God has stipulated. And that goes, by the way, for a Christian. You cannot approach God because just any old way you come here, you can see quite clearly in a particular way, a specific way. That word pleasing that uh, we find in association with the Old Testament sacrifices is the word that quietens someone, that is soothing, that promises tranquility. So that God, when He is smelling the aroma, is satisfied with the sacrifice made by the individual drawing near. So much so that the type and the copy of that for us is that if we approach God, we come with certain sacrifices that must be in a certain way rendered acceptable to God. You cannot abuse your body and then just come and say, here's my body, God. No, we present our bodies as living sacrifices. And that requires thinking and consecration and time and, and all of those ideas about what does it mean for me to give my body to God as a living sacrifice, a sacrifice that is consumed all the time and that pleases God. This is how we ought to approach God. So... It's not just the sacrifice, though, that is significant, but what lies behind the sacrifice as well in your heart. So the Old Testament Israelite, when he came with his burnt offering or whatever the sacrifice was, he had to come with his heart thinking right about that sacrifice. If he went through the motions, which, by the way, Old Testament Israel fell into, and their sacrifices and their offerings were despised and rejected by God because their hearts were not right. So to sacrifices that truly and only please God are sacrifices that come from our hearts, that cost us something, that mean something to us, that represent uh, us being filled with love for God that flows from our hearts. That's the response God is looking for when you come to pray to Him. Because when you come to pray to God, you're seeking God, you are, you are asking God for certain things. Don't be flippant about it in one sense at all, right? Be holy and be serious, because God treats your approach to Him in a very significant and a very holy way. We want to please God, therefore when we draw near to God, that means my heart must be right, my attitude must be right, so that the obedience in the Old Testament, of any offering that sprang from a heart that was filled with love for God and with faith in God was a pleasing sacrifice to God. So that if you are prepared to go to the extreme, which all of us should be prepared to do, in sacrificing ourselves, in giving ourselves, let it be only because we are filled with love and with gratitude to God. Let it be also because you believe in God, right? So Hebrews 11.3 says that by faith, 
Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, an acceptable sacrifice. Why? Not just because it was a lamb with blood to be shed, but because Abel's heart connected with that so that he knew in order to be accepted by God, this blood had to be shed. And I believe that, God. That's what Abel said. I believe that. The only way you accept me is through the blood that is poured out on my behalf, represented by this lamb, this lamb that is slain or killed by me. So his heart was the thing. And his love for God. And his faith for God. And as Hebrews 11.6 tells us, without faith, it is what? Impossible to please. There's that word again, to please God. Therefore, if I offer anything to God, it must be in faith. Not just from my heart filled with love, but because I truly believe that what I'm offering to God, I'm offering from my heart. Truly, because I believe it's impossible to please God without it. So any sacrifice, Old Testament, New Testament, ourselves, requires the right motivation. Why am I coming to God? To do what? Why am I drawing near to God? It requires not only that, but the right attitude, the right mindset, not just the motivation, but the mind is right with God. I'm thinking right. I'm thinking in line with God's stipulations and with the obligation that God lays upon me as a New Testament believer to lay down my life in service for Jesus Christ, to meet all the requirements, all the stipulations that He lays upon me in obligation for me to serve Him and to please Him. So we know how Israelites were to approach God. They were to come like this. They were to come with faith. They were to come with love. And they were to come with the right sacrifice. And so too for the Christian, it's that we come with the right sacrifice of ourselves in love and in believing God, the right heart, with affection, love for God, with, with trust, faith in God. And I try to remind myself that whenever I pray, whenever I read my Bible and I draw near to God, it's because I love God and because I believe that God will hear me based on how, what Jesus has sacrificed or done for me. So without the right attitude, without the right motivation, without the right mind, without faith, without love, any sacrifice of yourself is meaningless. Empty words. Israel was guilty of bringing empty words to God. Their sacrifices meant nothing because they no longer believed God. They no longer loved God as they ought to have loved Him. They loved other idols that were other gods. They had rivals to God, and God doesn't accept that. And so we ask ourselves when we sacrifice ourselves to God, is there any rival to God in my heart? Is there any sin in my life that rivals my affection for God? How easy it is to fall into that, isn't it? And so these are the things we have to ask ourselves. Sacrifices are meaningless unless your attitude, unless your affection is right with God. So we know... That any sacrifice that is to be offered to God must spring from a heart that is loving and that is obedient. Now you remember Samuel in the Old Testament, how he rebuked King Saul. He had sent him on a mission, or God had sent him on a mission, to destroy the Amalekites, to destroy every single thing, all their possessions, all the Amalekites, every single one of them. And he failed to do that, didn't he? In fact, Saul said that he and the people had saved the very best animals to sacrifice them to God. But that wasn't what God had asked Saul to do. God was not looking for the very best sacrifices or the very best animals that the Amalekites had to be offered to him. Saul thought that that would be a good way. A good thing, but that was disobedience. And you remember how Samuel put it to him, 1 Samuel 15, 22, As the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, to obey is what? Better than sacrifice. Obedience from a heart that is filled with thankfulness and love to God. So now here, look at verse 15 and 16 of Hebrews chapter 13. The writer tells us about sacrifices that please God. Through him, verse 15, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. 
And verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices, notice the word, are pleasing to God. So this is a, these are verses about sacrifices that please God. These sacrifices are not Old Testament sacrifices. They're not the sacrifices of lambs and bulls and goats and calves. They're not Levitical offerings. No, these sacrifices are simply a response to Christ and what Jesus has done. And he has just told the Hebrews, you remember from last time, that Jesus had made a sacrifice on their behalf outside the gate of the city of Jerusalem. And as a result of that, he had sanctified his people through his own blood. And his own blood, of course, represents a sacrifice, an offering to God, so that Jesus renders to God the only acceptable sacrifice for all my sins. Because in the shedding of the blood of bulls and calves and goats, there is no forgiveness of sins. Only in the sacrifice, the blood shed, by the Lord Jesus Christ, can my sins be forgiven and I be accepted by God Himself. You'll notice in verse 13, the writer urges the Hebrews, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach that He endured. So he's urging upon these Hebrews and upon ourselves a response. In light of what Jesus has done, let us, let us go to Him, He says. Let's identify with Jesus. Let's say that we belong to Him. If we truly are Christians, let's identify with Him. Because by His ransom, He has purchased for God a people for Himself. Let's demonstrate that we are that kind of people. That we have been bought with a price. That we are no longer our own. That we offer to God everything that we are. Since Jesus offered to God everything that He was in our place and on behalf of us. Jesus, as the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 9, has entered the most holy place. And He has entered that most holy place, not with the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but with His own blood. And as a result of entering by His own blood, He has secured for us an everlasting or an eternal redemption. Hebrews chapter 9. That's why we go to Jesus. Because He has redeemed us. That's why we come to Him. Because He is our ransom. Because He has made atonement for us. Or to put it another way, I now belong to God. Therefore, how do I approach Him? In light of the fact that I am God's purchased possession. I'm no longer my own. So we no longer belong to ourselves, as 1 Corinthians 6.20 reminds us. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body and with your lives and so on. And our first part of our response, you'll notice verse 13, is to go to Him and bear the reproach of Christ Himself. But here now, the writer gives us further sacrifices in response to Jesus. And you'll notice verse 15 is the offering up of continual sacrifices because he says through him then let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. So verse 15 speaks about how long, how often, continually let us offer sacrifices to God and you'll notice in verse 16 my sacrifices are with compassion to not neglect to do good and to share with others a compassionate service so continual sacrifices and a compassionate service are the sacrifices God requires, the sacrifices that please God. Or I could say this is the life of a Christian. The life of a Christian can be just boiled down to these two things. What do you say to God? What comes out of your mouth towards God? How do you approach God? And how do you think of others? And here he's telling us, we should always be continually sacrificing, praising God, thanking God because of what Jesus has done, verse 13. And we should also be thinking of others in compassion. Do not neglect to do good and to share with what you have because with such sacrifices God is well pleased. It's the life of a Christian, isn't it? To render to God praise. And praise not just from our lips but also our lives. Not only praise, but to render to God what I possess, what is mine, to share, to be willing to give, to willing to share with others. So my life, my life as well as my lips 
should reflect sacrifices or praises to God, uh, service to God. And you remember how Peter tells the people, the Jews, that he wrote to those Christian Jewish believers, exiles and strangers. He says, he says, you yourselves are like living stones that are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer, he says, spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a particular kind of people now that Jesus has ransomed you. Now that you are a Christian, you are a particular kind of person. And in response of what Jesus has done for you, there should be a response in light of that. From your life, from your lips, continual praise. And from your life, your possessions, the compassionate service and sacrifice that you make. And notice, Peter says, you are a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. Not atoning sacrifices. And that, of course, of course, is simply a salvation by works, isn't it? What can I do? What can I offer to God to make God love me or to make God pleased with me, to make God acceptable with me? That's the idea of works. No, grace is that which conveys that the only response, legitimate response, is that you just render to God praise and worship and adoration and give your life as a sacrifice for others. You lay down your lives for the brethren is the response we should have. So, not only bulls and goats, but he requires ourselves in the New Testament. Or I should say the bulls and goats from the Old Testament. Now, will you look with me? There are three ways. Uh, he tells us how to sacrifice. Three ways. Verse 15, it's to be a sacrifice of speaking or praise, right? Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, speaking. Verse 16, do not neglect to do good, a sacrifice of service. And verse 16, and to share what you have, a sacrifice of sharing. So he brings to our minds these kinds of sacrifices, speaking, serving, and sharing. And from our speaking, you'll notice how he identifies it as the fruit of your lips, the fruit of our lips responds in thanksgiving. He goes from that, in verse 15, to our doing, do good, which is our service, and to our giving of all that we have to share what we have to our life of sharing. So, so much so that you can identify a Christian by those three things. The Christian life is to be a life of speaking or praising God, a life of service to God, and a life of sharing what you have with others. Because isn't that what Jesus has done for us. And in these last days, God has spoken to us in the person of His Son. He has spoken to us. Now we speak to God in response to this revelation that He has made of His Son, His sacrifice and His intercession on our behalf. So, what kind of sacrifices is He talking about in verse 15? Not the blood of bulls and goats, but spiritual sacrifices. The sacrifice of praise, he says. Now I want you to notice how he begins verse 15, because it's important, he says, through him. And that little preposition, through, stands in the Greek text at the very start of verse 15. And whenever you have a preposition standing at the start of something in the original text, it signifies importance. That there's a reason for that preposition being right at the front. So it begins the verse in Greek, which simply then, as I said, speaks of its value and its importance. Or to put it another way, these sacrifices of praise cannot be offered apart from Jesus Christ. They must be made through Him. So you cannot come without Christ. You cannot come apart from Christ. You cannot leave Jesus somewhere else and say, well, I'll go directly to God. How many times do you engage with people and they tell you, I believe in God? But when it comes to Jesus, that's, well, Jesus is not the God that the Bible speaks of to them. Jesus is a good teacher, a great moral example, a good friend, a good thing, person to follow, whatever it might be. But they, they, they have this idea of God, but it's not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a God of their own making. You cannot approach God, the true God, without His Son, 
without the Lord Jesus. It is always through Him. And notice, it is through our Lord, he says, that we are to praise God, or to thank God, or to give the fruit of our lips. Back in chapter 12 of Romans, you remember, he says in verses 1 and 2, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That the consecration of your body is an act of worship to God. That the sacrifice that you bring to God of your entire life in your body is a spiritual act of worshipping God. What is worship? But to come to God and to approach God and to ascribe to God the value and the worth that He has. You do that when you lay down your life in a sacrifice. You do that through Jesus because Jesus laid down His life so that you can come to God. So offering ourselves to God, offering our lives to God, is an act of worship. It's not just coming to church like we do on Sunday and sitting here and we sing hymns and we pray and we can be serious about all of that and we ought to be. But, but the worship of God is much deeper than just attending church, isn't it? Here it is a, a life of thankful praise that comes from our lips, from our mouths. And in verse 16, what you do with your life represents the sacrifice that you offer to God. And so worship, of course, we know, includes praise, includes thanksgiving. When you read the, the Psalms, the book of Psalms, the Psalms are Israel's hymn book. They sing the Psalms, and we've sung a Psalm tonight. The Psalms are filled with praises for God, especially when you get to the end, right? Those last latter few hymns always begin with praise Yahweh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, over and over again. What does that stress to you? I should praise God. That's what they're saying, right? Uh, filled with worship and how to come to God and filled with thanksgiving as you come to God. What is thanksgiving? It is just simply a life that is the fruit of being thankful. Are you a thankful person? You thank God for things. And it's not just a matter of singing hymns or singing the right hymns. That's not the question at all. It is to be a life of praise, a life of being thankful, a life of rendering thanksgiving to God. In other words, I should be known as a thankful person who's always thanking God. Now being thankful, which expresses itself in thanksgiving, in praise to God, affects everything that we are. It affects the whole person. It's not just a lip thing, but it's a mind thing, and it's a heart thing, and it's a body thing. It's all that we are, we offer to God. When we thank God, it comes from who we are, all that we are, and all that we are now through Jesus Christ. And it is through our Lord Jesus Christ that we approach God and we acknowledge all that God has done with thankfulness in our hearts to God. In fact, he talks about acknowledging the name of God and coming to God. Notice what he says in verse 15. We offer, he says, this sacrifice of praise to God. You see what he says there? Through him, that's Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That word offer, let us offer up a sacrifice of praise, points to an act of sacrifice, meaning you do it. That's what it means. Let us offer up. Let's do it. Let's praise God. Let's give thanks to God. And the proof of it being done is the actual thanksgiving that is rendered to God, the praise that we give to God. So the psalmist says in Psalm 116, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will offer to you a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Or Psalm 50, 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. Even in the Old Testament, the idea of thanking God was a means of giving glory to God. Isn't that the be-all and the end-all of our life? Isn't that the glorious aim of every Christian to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? The enjoyment of God must surely come from a heart that is thankful for what God has done. 
The writer to the Hebrews wants these Hebrew Christians to know that this was to be the pattern for their life. They were so used to going to the temple and worshipping God with their bulls and their lambs. They were so used to the idea of a priest interceding on their behalf, the high priest. They were so used to that whole Levitical structure. But now he says, you go to God. You go to God through Jesus. You are accepted by God because of Christ. You go to Him and you offer Him praise. Let that be the pattern for your life as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not a one-time sacrifice. Like the Old Testament might have, you do. You bring your sacrifice, but then you forget about it for a while and you come back with another one. No, this is not a one-time sacrifice. It's not a here or there kind of sacrifice. When I feel like it, look at verse 15. What does he say? Through him then let us continually. Continually. That word continually means constantly. It means always. Always be sacrificing a gift a praise, of, uh, praise and thanksgiving to God. So my life as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is overwhelmingly to be a thankful life and a thanksgiving kind of life. I've said often before, there are too many miserable Christians, right? Look at this verse. There's no misery in this verse. In fact, there's no misery in the New Testament for a Christian. How can we be miserable when Jesus did what he did for us and in response to him? So my life and your life as a believer must overwhelmingly be a life of thankfulness to God. You know why that is? Because love is that which prompts me to be a thankful person. Love prompts thanksgiving. Love prompts and expresses itself by action, by performance. You see love. It's one thing to say, I love you, with your mouth. But a woman never wants to see, a wife never wants to just hear what you say, I love you. She wants to see it in action. She wants to see it demonstrated. It's easy to say. It's not so easy to demonstrate. Right? When Jesus calls upon husbands, or Paul calls upon husbands, to love their wives, what is the expression that he uses? Sacrifice. Lay down your life. Be that kind of husband in loving, because love is tangible, love is action, love is performed. But thanksgiving, which comes from love, a heart filled with love, is to be a developed pattern of my life. So that every day, motivated by love in response to the Lord Jesus Christ, I just respond with thanksgiving to the Lord. There cannot be surely, and there ought not to be surely, surely, an unthankful Christian. Is it possible to have an unthankful Christian? I've known many Christians, men and women, that have been very unthankful people, very critical people, very judgmental people, not thankful. You know it because you listen to what they say, you hear what they say, and there's no thanksgiving that comes from their, fruit, their mouth. It's just complaint. One after the other, right? Always grumbling, always blaming, always complaining. That's what an unthankful person does naturally all the time. That means they have nothing to be thankful for. Is it possible for a Christian to be like that? We have everything to be thankful for, don't we? And grumbling and complaining and blaming God is always directed to God. When you talk about other things and complain about other things, the Lord hears and the Lord is never pleased with the grumbling of His people. When the people complained, Numbers chapter 11 verse 1, the Lord was displeased. And how often did Israel complain? Over and over again. Christians can be like that. We should never be a complaining people or a grumbling kind of person. You know why we grumble perhaps or complain? is because we are self-absorbed. We're so taken up with ourselves with seeking self-approval. I mean, you've all heard the idea about you need to forgive yourself. Nowhere in the Bible are you told to forgive yourself because it's only God who forgives you. Today, the, the whole philosophy in the Christian church is you need to forgive yourself and move on. Only then can you move on with God. Wrong. 
You move on with God by going directly to God and bringing all your issues to God and leaving them with God because Jesus bore a sacrifice for those very sins that are causing you problems with God. There's no place for self-praise in the life of a Christian. Thanksgiving to God is not about elevating self. It's not about praising self. So there's no place for self-worth or self-absorption or self-approval or self-praise in the life of a Christian. Notice the text. Verse 15. Through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Praise to God. Not praise about myself. But praise to God. And notice, it's not just the praise of God, but verse 15 talks about a direction. It's praise to God. I direct my thanksgiving to God Himself. I definitively aim for God when I think about praising Him and giving Him thanks. So Paul tells the Colossians in Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Notice, through Him. Thanks. Ephesians 5.18-20 Paul tells the Ephesians, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord with your heart, sorry, giving thanks always for everything. Notice that, giving thanks always for everything. Not some things, but everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says about us. The kind of thanks we are to render to God. John Owen said that every act of grace in God or love in Christ toward us is in its own nature obligatory upon us with thanksgiving. To put that in English, just thank God for what He's done. Right? That's what grace draws from us. Because grace is free. You didn't earn it. You don't work for it. You can't buy it. You can't pay for it. It's given freely. And because it's freely given, we respond to what God has done for us in the person of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Every time you made a thanksgiving offering in the Old Testament, usually in association with other offerings, this act of thanksgiving, it was always made in relation and independence upon the blood of the sacrifices. But for us, Notice it is unto God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, it's true. Behind my response is the finished work, the blood that was shed for me, the Lord Jesus, that I bring, that I respond to in light of that. So our sacrifice of praise is what we are called upon to offer. That's why David could cry out to God in Psalm 51, right? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Notice, the sacrifices of God. That's an Old Testament saint who's come to understand that it's not just about the animals and the blood and all of that, but the sacrifices of God are a broken life in response to what God has done. How can it be otherwise, right? So being thankful is all about repentance and deep repentance at that. Not only about deep repentance, but strong faith, confidence in God, and believing what God has done. The, the degree of thanksgiving is in proportion to what you believe about God and how you hate sin. He who loves much does so because he's forgiven much. So thanksgiving is to be the fruit of my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember... The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6 talks about putting to death sin within you, right? Mortification of sin, that whole big subject of mortifying the flesh. But in Romans chapter 12, isn't that really what he says when he says, present your body as a living sacrifice? Because in presenting your body as a living sacrifice, you must kill sin. You must die to self. You must put to death, as Colossians 3 says, what is earthly within you. And so in putting death to sin, 
uh, putting sin to death, sorry, that is a sacrifice that is made. But when you thank God for that, it rises to God as sweet incense, as if God smells a pleasing aroma. He says, that's what I'm looking for, a heart that is broken in response to what I've done. Can it be otherwise? One thing I think I know about God from the Bible is that He loves to be praised. He loves to be adored. He loves to be thanked. You can never render enough thanksgiving. Ever. Neither can I. There is not enough praise that can come out of my mouth. But all God is looking for is just praise Him. Just thankful. The fruit of your lips. Let it be Thanksgiving. There are so many things to waste our time, right, in the world. Here's good time spent, well spent, thanking God for everything. And you can do that when you drive in your car, go to work. You can do that when you open your eyes in the morning. You can do that when you eat your breakfast and your lunch and your supper. You can do that when you meet with friends. You can do that when you gather with God's people. You can do it at any time. He says, let us always, let us constantly, let us continually offer up in response to what Jesus has done. Verse 13, and the fact that I'm seeking an eternal city, let us then thank Him. Let us be this kind of praising people. God loves to be praised. You can never render enough. That's why it should always be continually, because you can't give enough of it. The Bible tells me that I'm to be a praying person. Remember? Pray without ceasing. Pray constantly. Pray always. Pray continually. That's what Paul means, right? Not only am I to pray to God constantly, but I'm to praise God constantly. And sometimes those two things happen together, don't they? In praying, I praise God. In praising God, I might pray to God and thank Him. And notice that the writer to the Hebrews, he calls this praise to God in verse 15, that is the fruit of lips. The fruit of lips. It comes through our mouths. Or uh, we might think of it this way. It's a form of confession that I make to God. A confession of praise. And what does that confession look like? He says, we acknowledge His name. Notice the text. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. So unlike all the Levitical sacrifices, this sacrifice of praise does not require the offering of foods like it does in the Old Testament. Like he's just talked about, by the way, in verse 9 of chapter 13, the foods that are offered, or Leviticus 7 as they required, there is no regulation here. There is no ceremony here. Just a steady stream of thanking God from your mouth. The fruit of of your lips. I don't really understand how any Christian can be silent. How any Christian could go through a week and not thank God once. He says, let us continually be that kind of Christian, right? A steady stream of praise that just breaks unprompted from my lips directed to the Lord. Now, you know, I know that, that some people struggle to pray what we call extemporaneously. Okay? So, to me, this is a very good way to learn how to pray extemporaneously. Just start thanking God for things. You don't have to have a form of pray, praying or a structure of prayer because that's limiting. Because prayer must really be what is generated from my heart. Thanksgiving comes from my heart and my confession of belief in the Lord. So that when I pray, if I want to learn how to pray, then pray with thanksgiving. Just start thanking God for anything and for everything. And you'll soon find yourself finding in the Bible when you read it, the very things you were thanking God for, the Bible speaks of to you. It's a good way to help us to learn to pray. Remember how Paul told the Colossians in chapter 4 verse 2, he said, continue, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So let our prayers and not just our praise be filled with thanksgiving or a thankful heart. 
Now, this little phrase here, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, is dependent upon an Old Testament text, Hosea chapter 14, verse 2, which the Septuagint translation is right here. We give the fruit of our lips, right? But the Hebrew text says we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Or as the King James says, we render the calves of our lips. It's a strange phrase, isn't it? We render bulls with our lips or calves with our lips. But it's the sense that's behind Hosea that we should see. That praising God and acknowledging God's name are just simply the sacrifices that God requires. Every time you mention a bull or a goat or a calf to an Israelite, he knows sacrifice. That's what he thinks about. So the Hosea text is pointing God's people in response to praising God with their lips as being a sacrifice like you would sacrifice a bull or a calf or a lamb in the Old Testament. I like how Philip Hughes says, he says that the fruit of our lips is the natural harvest born by the root of a loving faith. If you have a loving faith, guess what comes out? Thanksgiving to God. And as Hosea 6 verse 6 says, God says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And isn't the thanksgiving of God a response to what I know about God? I acknowledge God's name. What do I know about God? I know what His name means. So true worship is not conformity like a Levitical system to some outward regulation or form of worship. It is from a heart that is right with God and from a life that is lived to the praise and the glory of Christ and the glory of God. So much so that all my praise and all my thanksgiving is that which acknowledges the name of God. I praise Him for His excellency because His name is excellent in all the earth. Right? We pray, don't we? Hallowed be your name or thy name. Hallowed. We set apart the name of God when we pray, when we draw near to God. What does that mean? We acknowledge that God is unique in of himself. There is nobody who has the names of God. And the names of God convey the attributes and the character of God. And you can think about them. Whenever you read about the names of God and the scriptures, they are re revealing the character of God and the nature of God. So the writer to the Hebrew says that the fruit of our lips acknowledges his name, shows who we are praising. We are praising the only God, the God of the Bible. And his name, which is so uh, flowing with his character and his nature, is that which we set our minds on who God is and what God means to me, what God has done. You see, that's what thanksgiving is all about. It comes to rest in the final analysis on God. Now, I might say thank you to you for something. You give me a gift, I say thank you to you. Where does my thanks end? It ends on you. You receive my thanks. That's what, that's what we do when we offer up the fruit of our lips, when we acknowledge His name. We are coming to rest in our praise and our thanksgiving on God Himself. What greater praise can there be then? To finally end on God, in thanking God, resting on who God is and in God. So Herman Bavink, the Dutch theologian, he said that God's name stands for all of his honor, for all of his glory, for all of his excellencies, for all of his revelation, and for all of his divine essence. His name stands for all of that. God is that which he calls himself, and he calls himself that which he is. Isn't that why he said, I am that I am? I'm just, this is who I am. This is my name. It's who I am. It's a remarkable prayer by the Lord Jesus, isn't there, in John Gospel chapter 17, where Jesus says this, I have manifested your name to those whom you gave me out of the world. John 17, 6. I have manifested, revealed your name, Father, to them. And at the very last verse of John 17, Jesus says, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So thanksgiving and praise is made to God, right? 
That's who we make praise and thanksgiving to. But do you know what it does? When you thank God, it makes God known. It reveals God to others. If you want to be known as a Christian, then the writer to the Hebrews says you have to go outside the gate where Jesus is. You have to identify with Him and join with Him. And what does that mean? What does that look like? It's the life that continually is praising Him in going out to identify with Him and joy with Him. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. And what does that look like? It glorifies God. It acknowledges His name. And it says, you are my God. And I thank you because I love you and because I believe in you. That's the sacrifice of praise. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful word that you've given to us, which is so instructive and beneficial to us to help us understand these things. Now we pray, Father, that we would be this week a thankful people. Help us to start thanking you and praising you. Think about your name and all that your name represents to us and then say thank you for that. To thank you for all the little things and all the big things in between. Thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Help us to identify with him by being a praising people, not a complaining people, not a grumbling people, but a loving, believing people. So we ask that we would, like David, have broken and contrite hearts and spirits, and that we would draw near to you and offer thanksgiving and praise as our sacrifice. That's what we've tried to do this day, Lord, as we've come to worship you. Now as we end the day, as we close the day, this is serious business that we have before you, that we might conform our lives to the likeness of Jesus Christ. We do that by offering to you the fruit of our lips that acknowledge the name of God, thanking you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you loved us and died for us. We thank you for the eternal life that comes to us through faith in you. And now that because we believe in you, we love you. And help us to express our love and our belief in you by thanking you. To change us and make us these kind of Christians, we pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for each other. Bless us now as we part, as we go our separate ways. And to Jesus, our Savior, be all the glory and all the praise. In his name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and give you a good week.